but I'd like to do something a little bit different. Uh, I'd like to uh, think about the Imahot, Sarah and Rivka, and answer the question about how were they. Now, it's a little hard to be asked the question in a global manner, so what I did was, I collected all of the places that the Ramban, in his commentary on the Torah, says something about Sarah and about Rivka. Right, Sarah is last week's parasha, the last two parashiyot, and Rivka is this week's parasha of, uh, of Toldot. So if you look at the second, at the second uh, <coughs> number two, number two on the sheet, Breshit Peret Ted Zion, that's last week's parasha. The Pasuk says, the Pasuk says, Vatomes Sarai, El Avram, Hamasi Alecha, Anochi Natati Shivchati Bechekecha, Vateraki Harata, Vekal Beineha, Yishpot Hashem Beini Uveinecha. So the context is the fact that Sarai, who didn't have any children, gave her maidservant Hagar to Abraham as a, uh, as a wife some kind of wife. Exactly what her status was is not clear to me, but uh, she had some sort of status. So she became pregnant immediately. That's what Chazal say. She became immediately, immediately pregnant with a child. And so Sarai, her name is still Sarai, comes to complain to Abraham. And she says this phrase, Hamasi Alecha. Hamas is something, it's destruction, it's, uh, it's something that is discontinuous. Hamas. Hamasi, what, what happened to me should happen to you. Like, you know, people say, of dir gesucht, they say in Yiddish. Like, it's, like it should only be for you. So that's what she said. What, what is she so angry about? She said, I gave you my bait servant into your bosom. And she saw that she was uh, pregnant. And then she treated me in a very mild manner, like, she, like as though she was an equal or she was even better than I was because she was pregnant and I was not. Yishpot Hashem beini uveinecha. So God should judge between you and me. So the, the argument of Sarai was that Abraham was not protecting her. Here, okay, he, she did him this favor, gave her this woman as his uh, maidservant, and he Avram Avinu, she became pregnant immediately, and Avram Avinu was not supporting her, supporting Sarai, was not, and, and so her authority somehow was dissipating, and, and she was very angry about that. Vayomer Avram el Sarai, hinei shivchateich piyadeich, asilah So Avram recovers, and he says, Abraham says to Sarai, the Yosh, it's your shivcha, it's in your head. Do whatever you think is right. 
ותענה שרה ותברח מפניה. Gula, like one of those little books with stories about Sarah. This is in the Chumash, and the Chumash says, Vata'aneha Sarah. Vata'aneha is the word Inui. She tortured her. Vativrach Mipaneha. Once Sarai established her authority in the eyes of Avraham, even though she was pregnant, she, Hagar, was pregnant, Avra, uh, Sarai uh, tortured her, and she ran away. And then the story of Hagar and Yisrael and their status continues in the Torah. Okay, now let's look at the Rashi. Rashi says, Hamasi asui li alecha animatila onesh. This this terrible situation which I am suffering from, alecha animatila onesh. I place the punishment on you. This is what Avram Avinu said to HaKadosh Baruch in prayer. He said, what, are you, what will you give me? I am, I am draining around Ariri, childless. You only davened for yourself. But you should have davened for both of us. It was, I was also childless. What well, does you are childish? We're both childless. And I would have been remembered by God when you are remembered by God. So the accusation against Avraham Avinu, the accusation against Avraham Avinu was that he ignored her plight. And then Hagar also, in the same vein, ignored her, ignored her plight. Furthermore, furthermore, you divarecha ata mimeni. You are, uh, you don't uh, 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 carry out the words towards me. That would uh, elive, that would lighten the burden. Because you see, you see what Agar is saying, <coughs> what she's doing, that she's better than I am, that she is producing an air which I couldn't do, and you keep quiet, you don't say a thing. Then Rashi continues, and and uh, Rashi says. Uh, this is an excerpt, this is from the uh, Apostle that's not here. Now let's look at the Ramban. You see the Ramban? The Ramban says, The Ramban is not embarrassed. At the same time, he calls her Imenu, right? I, I mean, I, I, he's right. I mean, I'm not saying that this. It's just that it's a it's an odd uh, contraction of words. Chata Imenu. You would think that the Raman could have just said Chata. Now, I don't know about the Nusach. Maybe some energetic scribe put it in. You know, added the word 
he made, I don't know, but if we would say that the Ramban definitely said these words, I mean, this is taken from the, this is taken from the Ramban text on the computer, so it must be correct, right? But if it's not correct, we're all in big trouble. That means there's nothing that's correct anymore. Everything is imagined. But then he says, The fact that she tortured Hagar, that was a chait. V'gam Avraham, listen to this. V'gam Avraham ba'anichol asot came. And Rashi is right. That that's what she said, that Avraham Avinu also sinned because he allowed this to happen. He allowed this, he allowed Sarah to, tor- to torture Hagar. It was Sarah tortured Hagar, it was her idea. But Avraham Avinu allowed it to happen. He didn't, he didn't stop it. Listen to this. I'm not talking about the fact that the Ramban here is almost like a prophet. I'm just saying, I'm just saying the words say, Shema Hashem El Anya. God paid attention to her terrible state, to her uh, impoverished state, Vinatan Laben, and he allowed her to give birth to a son. And that son, Yehei Pera Adam, he was a wild man. He was like crazy. La'anot, to torture, Zera Avraham v'sarah, v'kol minei And you know that the Ramban had a strong feeling that the words in the Torah, especially the the extraordinary words, the words that you don't expect, were actually prophetic in nature. The Ramban thought that there was, that ma'aseh avot siman levanin, which is a statement the Chazal say, and probably mean that, you know, children copy the mannerisms of their parents. But he felt he felt that that's not what it means. That ma'aseh avot siman means that the parents determine how the children are going to act. It's a, in, in other words, it's like, a, uh, it's like programming. They program their children. Now we could, like way, a way of saying that using psychology or sociology today, I mean, where you grow up is who you are to a great extent. You imitate your parents, both in their, the way they do things, the way they look, and the way, uh, the way that they, their ideas, the ideas that they have, you often, you often imitate. So that the word, that word, that jarred the Ramban, that she tortured Hagar, that was really, like, remarkable. Like, why did Sarah do it? So first the Ramban said, it was a chait. And then the Ramban says, she was punished. But her punishment was not simply, her punishment was not simply uh, that she was missing something or something happened to her. But there was a fault that was created forever. And that fault that was created forever, according to the Ramban, is that the son who was born to Hagar was a para-adam, 
לענות זרע אברהם ושרה בכל מיני העינוי. That forever Yishmael and the descendants of, the, of Yishmael are uh, responding to what Sarah did by making the descendants of Avram and Sarah miserable over and over again. So that usually the Ramban follows Chazal in saying that this is true about Esav. Right? Do you remember Esav? So Esav in Chazal is compared to Romi. Right? The Roman Empire, the destruction of the Beit HaMikdash, and that continues, right? The Roman aspect of things continue through Esav. But it's very rare that you find somebody who says the same thing about Yishmael. Yishmael is just considered to be the son who didn't make it. He was offered, he's like Lot. Lot was offered a position in the household of Abraham. And he rejected it because he didn't, he wasn't able to accept the theological basis that Abraham presented him with. The same thing was true for Yishmael. But here, here the Ramban said that because of this word Vaya'aneha, Yishmael became the ultimate enemy again and again throughout history. Right? I mean, you know that the Ramban lived in Spain at a time when there was, uh, there was this, uh, these battles between the Christians and the Muslims. And both the Christians and the Muslims found ways to, uh, to make the Jews miserable. And, uh, and the Ramban who was in there, he was, you know, he was in that parasha. He said that it's because of Sarah when it came to the, to the Muslims, which I think is quite a remarkable, a remarkable thing. If you look at the next source, number three, Remember the angels came and one of the angels informed Sarah that she would have a son, right? This time of the year, in another year, she would have a son and she laughed. And then the angels asked Avram Avinu, why is she laughing? I mean, what's the, uh, is God unable to do such a simple thing? I mean, uh, why should she laugh? So, so Sarah then answers Avraham and says, no, I wasn't laughing. Ki yereya, ki she, she said, I was just, I don't know, I guess when, you, when you're very uh, um, uh, taken up with something, sometimes people giggle. To my, my limited experience, I associate that more with women than with men. Japanese. Japanese giggle? Oh, well, that's what they do. Because no one understands what they're saying. Yes, she was Japanese. Yeah. Okay. So she said, Lotzachati, Kiyareya. It was out of fear, fear of God. I mean, I knew that it was going to happen. She said the opposite. Vayomer lo, and Abraham says to her, no, no, you were laughing. You were laughing in disbelief. And Rashi says, Kiyareya, Kisachak. See the Rashi? Harishon mishamesh leha, leshon deha, shenoten tam ledava. The first, the first kind of. Tzachakti is the reason. It's like a reason for something. 
that she said, no, I was just in fear. Because this Raj is trying to just read the Pasuk with us. With the Right? What does Lo Tzachakti mean? Lo Tzachakti. I'm sorry. Lo Tzachakti. She's explaining what happened. He's not arguing about the fact. The fact was that it sounded like she was laughing. And she said, no, it could sound like I was laughing, but I was really expressing this fear I had that I was in the presence of God. And Avram Avinu says to her, no, no, you really were, uh, uh, were laughing. That, uh, that the key, the word key, Chazal already said, that the word key meant, means a variety of things. So that's what Rashi emphasizes this. Now listen. Ramban. The Ramban, you know, they say, tells it like it is. Like, like, like in class. If you're in a class and you are uh, uh, bent on annoying the teacher, this is what you would say. Exactly what the Ramban says. Ramban says, Anita Mea Benevi'ah Hatzadeket. Right? In other words, he, he's upping the ante here. Now, don't stop asking a question about somebody, but I'm asking a question about Nevi'ah Tzadeket. That's what the Ramban calls Sarah several times. Nevi'ah Tzadeket. Because God said to Avram Avinu, she is the greater prophet. So the Ramban, of course, calls her Nevi'ah Tzadeket. Well, she was one of the Imahots. Of course she was a Tzadeket. I mean, you don't have to prove that. So the Viyat Tzadeket, Ech tikachesh ba'asher amar Hashem lanavi. How could she disagree? After all, it was God who said to Avram Avinu, why did she laugh? So Hashem thought that she laughed. So how did she come and say that? She didn't laugh? I mean... I mean, of course, who is that? That's, that's Cain and Hevel. That's Cain and Hevel. Right? God says to Cain, where is your brother? And Hevel says, I don't know. Like he's gone. So, so this is the kind of conversation that we imagine that we could never have. Because of course you assume that God knows the answer to the question. And the question is just, like a test, say something, but it doesn't mean tell me something I don't know. I mean, that's, that seems by our conceptions of things to be a bit ridiculous. So what did Sarah say? Well, How could she disagree? Furthermore, I don't understand. How she didn't believe the angels. The angels said you could have a baby. And what did she say? I'm an old lady. So according to the Ramban, it's an irrelevancy. Well, maybe you know, if God says you could have a baby, you could have a baby, right? Doesn't, did she get that? She was, uh, she was not up to that lesson in the, in the Avram Avinu theology book, that you know, if God says it, it's going to happen. 
what was the issue? What was the issue that she could not accept the words of the angel? So the Ramban says, I'm going to try to explain this. These three angels came to Abraham. This is the parasha by Yerah, right? By Yerah. They came to Abraham. And the thing about these three angels was that they looked like people. They looked like people. You know that in, in Hebrew, the word ish uh, is, and the, is interchangeable sometimes with the word malach. And the Rambam uses that word in Sefer uh, Matai. He says ishim for malachim. We would say the word malachim. He said the word ishim. So that in the tradition of interpretation, sometimes the word ish equals malach. So, in, so it has a double meaning here. He was clever, and he recognized that they are, that they are angels. He kibahem. And they told him, we will come back, or I, told, I will come back, right? The angel who was given this job said, I will come back, and your wife will have a son. And she heard this conversation. And she didn't know, she thought they were just people. She didn't know that they were angels. Malachi Elyon, angels of heaven, of God. Kenyan Be'eshet Manoach. There's a similar case with Manoach's wife, who didn't recognize that they were angels. Ulai lo ra'atau tam klal, the rabbi adds. Maybe she didn't see them at all. Vatitzchak. And she laughed within herself in order to make light of it. That sometimes you can, you can have a laughter about whatever's going on in heaven. And he says, if you laugh with your mouth, that's called simcha, that's joy. Azim aleischok pinu, the pasuk says. You fill your mouth with laughter. Yim aleischok, ozim aleischok pinu. Aval, haschok balev, lo yomar besimcha. But if you laugh inside of you, that's not a laughter of simcha. And HaKadosh Baruch accused her to Avraham Why was it that she thought it couldn't happen? Why did she think that? It's worthy that she should believe that it could happen. She should say Yes, verily, that will be done. That's God's will, and that's what will happen. Why did you laugh? 
Is there something that God is unable to do? Velo pirishi leha ki Hashem gila elav soda. And he didn't tell her how he knew that she was skeptical about this, that God had told him, So she was she disagreed or argued against it because she was afraid of Abraham, that Abraham had sort of caught her in this in this mood. That, that Abraham said it because he looked at her face and her face looked skeptical. She looked like she wasn't able to accept the idea. Alternatively, maybe she just kept quiet. She didn't say a word. I mean, the angel came and said, you could have a son. She wanted to have a son and, and she didn't say anything. So Abraham Vinu knew from that she didn't believe it. He said to her, no, you laughed. Then she understood that it was a prophecy that Abravinu knew that she would have a son. So that's the end of this Pasuk. Then the Pasuk. And Sarah understood that he really knew that uh, there was something wrong, that, that he had received the information from an angel of God, and she should not have responded at all. That Avram did not tell her immediately what it was that the angel told him. That's what he was told. Maybe Avram thought that God would send her this message independently on the next day. That, that uh, he knew, Avram Avinu knew, and so uh, you can look at it backwards. The Ramban says, Ramban says one of the reasons that this happened was that Avram Avinu thought that, and she thought that if this was really true, that she would receive a message from God. Because in the world, the way it worked was that uh, there was no reason for this message to go only to Avram Avinu and not to Sarai. So it is though uh, the Ramban is justifying her. The Ramban is justifying her. Maybe because he wanted to do the mitzvah of Milo very quickly, he was busy with that. And he had to circumcise all the people in his household. And after that, when he was weak, he sat in front of the, the, the opening of the tent. And the angels came before 
he, uh, he was able to tell her what happened. So that uh, there is a kind of a justification, even though the questions are asked, there's a kind of a justification for Sarah, because Sarah thought that since she was certainly one of the prophets, she was one of the Nevi'im, she should have been told, if this was really true, that she would have received that information from God independently of Avram Avinu, and Avram Avinu didn't have a chance to tell her what was happening because he was busy doing this and that and the other thing. So that in this case, in this case, the Ramban goes to great lengths, the Ramban goes to great lengths to justify uh, Sarah. You see, even though it doesn't seem obvious at all that she is justifiable in this case, the Ramban tries to do it. So we see that in the case of Sarah and Hagar, the Ramban does not try to justify uh, Sarah's behavior. But in the case, in this case of Vatichachesh Sarah Lemor, he does try to justify their, uh, Okay, let's look at the next source. And uh, uh, let's look at the next source, four, number four. Now this puzzle seems straightforward. Afterwards, Avram buried, after he bought the Marat HaMachpelah, he bought the Marat HaMachpelah, he buried his wife Sarah in the cave, in the field called Machpelah, the double, there's some kind of double aspect to it. Al Pinei Mamre, facing Mamre, he Chevron So this is a pretty straightforward, a straightforward statement about what Avram Avinu did. Sarah died, he bought the Maratuach he buried her in that, in that place. Now here's the, the Ramban. Kishav Leva'er Hasadeh, Vamakom, Va'aretz, he, the Torah comes back to explain to us where exactly it was this Maratha Machpelah. But we know all of this. This was all stated previously in the same parasha. He says, Bavur ki kol parasha is kira All in the story about the purchase of the Maratha Machpelah. The Torah mentions the son of Chet, the sons of Chet, and Ephron, especially Hakiti. The Fikach is Kir Besovki, who Be'eretz Kenan, Ashehi Eretz Yisrael. And therefore, at the end, it is mentioned that it was all taking place in Eretz Kenan, which we call Eretz Yisrael. And this is also in the beginning of the parasha. In the place is located, Hebron, Canaan. And why is this tremendous emphasis on the place? Why is the place mentioned in the beginning of the story, the place mentioned at the end of the story? And why is it mentioned that it's in Hebron, which is in Eretz Canaan? This is the Ramban. The tzadeket, that Sarah, right? Again, she's a tzadeket. 
and there she was buried. Ki ha-chitim mi-mishpachat Kenan. The Bnei Chait, they belong to the family of Kenan. Ulefi da'ati ki ta'am ha-ktuvim eno ele la-azkir ki hi eretz Kenan lo eretz plishtim. And that the, one of the purposes of this pasuk is to tell us that it was she was buried in Eretz Kenaan, but not in Eretz Pelishtim. It says that Avram lived many days in the land of the Pelishtim, right? We call Migurav Eretz Shava. That's, that's the story of Avram's life. He went from Gerar, which was in the land of the Plishtim, to Hebron, and back to Gerar, and back to Hebron. I mean, that was his, that was his, uh, his Maslul. That's where he lived. That we shouldn't make the mistake of thinking that Hebron is also part of the land of the Plishtim. So it says again that Hebron was in Eretz Kenaan, right? Even though Eretz Plishtim is connected to Abraham. So the, the Ramban says, why this emphasis? Answer, you should not think that we're talking about the land of the Plishtim. I think I've mentioned several times that the Plishtim were interesting because they were never captured. David HaMelech was not able to capture the people called Plishtim nor the land of the Plishtim, which today, as you know, is Aza. Ritzuat Aza is the land of the, basically the land of the Plishtim, which was never conquered. And here, the Ramban, he doesn't, doesn't say that, but he knew it. I mean, of course he knew it. I mean, it's in the Tanakh. So that the Ramban says there's an emphasis, an extraordinary emphasis here in the Torah that this tzadeket, o neviyat, tzadeket, should be buried in Eretz Kinnaan and not in Eretz, in Eretz Plishtim. The uh, Eretz Plishtim and Iskeret Labraham. Vosif, I'm in the sixth line, I think. Vosif basof lo dia marashi bistea machpela al penei mamrei sheze Hashem anoda eleha v'nichteva zota parasha. Listen to this, and so all of this is written. Nichteva zota parasha. What's the question? I mean, the question is, I mean, I would wanted to bury her in a, in a cave, so I buried her in a cave. But what's the difference? You could have buried her in a field, which was the way people buried in those days. They didn't all go and look for a, a cave to bury somebody in. It says, Nechtevah zot ha-parasha. Hashem im Avraham. To know to teach us the chasadim, the, the loving kindness God had gave to Avraham. He was, he was considered to be a prince of God in the place where he decided to live. Everybody thought that he was a great, a great person. 
והוא אמר להם, הוא לא אמר להם כן, שהיה שר וגדול, he didn't, they never said that, he never said he was a great person, he never said they should give him special, special honor, וגם בחייו קיים לו, והגדלה שמך, ויהיה ברכה, ואנחנו אבינו הוא עוז עליו, וברכה שגד גייבן כשהוא הלכת, הוא כסתם והלכת לארץ כנען, right, this bracha, which is I will make your name great and you will be a blessing His wife died and was buried in that place which would be inherited with the, as, the, as per the will of God ואשר אנחנו חייבים לכבד מכל גבורת אבותינו הקדושים. And furthermore, God wanted to make sure that we would have the ability to give kavod, to give honor to our fathers by, by knowing where they were buried. In order to know where they were buried, they had to be buried in a very extraordinary place. A place that was rediscoverable over the years. You could always, you could always go back to it. This was a nisayon of Abraham. It was Abraham had to understand if he could not find a place to bury Sarah, maybe God didn't want him to find a place. There was, he had a savora, that he wanted to find a place so that in future generations, people would be able to give honor to the people, to whoever was buried in that place. He says, Raboteinu amru, shegam zemina nisyonot Abraham. This could also be one of the ten tests that Avram endured. Shebikesh matom likvort sarav matzah. Okay, that, that, that's enough. What the Ramban is saying, what the Ramban is saying is that Avram Avinu did not really have to bury Sarah in the Maratha Machpelah. But Avram Avinu had this idea that if the women, if this woman who is his, was his wife, uh, is, is really uh, somebody so special, She is a bota neviyah. She's a neviyah and then she's a tzadeket. And she is the source of Am Yisrael. That it's reasonable that Am Yisrael, that the people should have a, be able to go and pay homage uh, to her. To be able to, uh, so he bought the Maratha Machpelah. He had no other way, no other way to do it. And the other thing he says is that This is a statement about Nachlat Hashem, that Sarah's burial is going to take place in the, in the karka, in the land, which belonged to B'nai Yisrael by divine decision. Right? God decided that it should belong, and so he buried, buried her in that, in that place. Should we be bothered that he doesn't call her by name? The Ramban doesn't mention it. One more, one more pasuk about Sarah. One more pasuk about Sarah. The first, it's the first, uh, the first uh, uh, source. Uh, 
When Avram Avinu came to Eretz Canaan, it says, Vayhira Agba Eretz, Vayered Abraham Mitzrayim al Agusham, Ki Kaveder Av Ba'aretz. There was a famine in the land, and Avram went to Mitzrayim to dwell there. Ki Kaveder Av Ba'aretz, the Rav was quite severe. That's what the Pasuk says. Now the Pasuk doesn't give us an inclination about whether what he did was a good thing to do or not a good thing to do. I mean, after all, God told Avram Avinu, go to Eretz Canaan. So he might have come to the conclusion that if God said, go to Eretz Canaan, and I'm here in Eretz Canaan, even though there's a famine, I'm sure that God will help me get through it. But Avram Avinu didn't say that. He said, oh, it's a famine, let me get out of here. Let me go to the land of Mitzrayim. Now, in the land of Mitzrayim, things didn't go so well, right? You know, they, they saw his wife, and she was a beautiful woman, and they wanted to take her to the king, etc. At the end, with God's help, they got out, and they came back to Eretz Canaan. So you could imagine that if God was willing to help out de facto with this uh, situation with the king of Egypt, then maybe God would also be helpful willing to help out with the uh, with the with the famine I mean why any event Rashi says just in Eretz Canaan there was a famine to test Abraham so what was the test, according to Rashi? According to Rashi, God said to Abraham to go to Eretz Canaan. And all of a sudden, Eretz Canaan is chasing them out. So maybe the promise has come to an end. Or maybe the promise was misunderstood. So this was a test for Abraham you know? And Abraham passed the test because when the time was, when he was able to, he went back to Eretz Canaan. That's how he passed the test. Okay? That's what, that's what uh, the Rashi says. Good? Now along comes the Ramban. And the Ramban says, Vida. Vida is a strong word. You should know. Right? You should know. Ki Avram Avinu chata chet gadol b'shkaga shevi ishto atzadeket b'mechshol avon mipnei pachto pein this does not sound good for Avram Avinu. You ready? Da. Avram Avinu chata chait gadol. He sinned a great sin. And what was his sin? Shevi ishto atzadeket. He brought his wife, the righteous one, b'michshol avon. She went into a, a, a trap, a, a, tripped over a sin. She was taken away to the house of Paro. And this is all because Avram and Avram Avinu, what did he do? He said, my sister, not my wife, it's my sister. Why did he say it's my sister? Because he was afraid. The Ramban says, he should have had faith in God she had seal otov et ishtov et kol hashalom. You should have had faith that God would. He could say, "This is my wife. This is my family." Why did he have to lie? 
that stupid lie that got in, that got no, made no good. He should have had faith that God would be able to support him and to, and to save him. Yam min ha'aretz, the Ramban says. Also, the fact that he left the land, which God had commanded him to stay in, because there was a famine, avon asher the Ramban says. That itself was a transgression because God certainly can, uh, 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 in the time of famine, uh, 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 relieve him from death. He can give him food to eat. Oh, listen to this. And it's because Avram Avinu did not have faith in God and did not stay in Eretz Kinnan, that the Jews, his descendants, were obliged to go to spend 400 or 200 years in slavery in, in Egypt. You see, the place where you're getting punished, that's where the resha, where the wickedness and the hate was. The wickedness and the hate belonged to Avram Avinu, and that caused the Galut, that caused the Galut in Mitzrayim. And the wickedness of Sarah to uh, Hagar, that caused the ongoing struggle between Yishmael and his descendants and, and uh, Avram Avinu and his descendants. So you see, you see that, if I had to summarize. No, they're also all Avram Avinu's. They're what? They're all Avram Avinu's. Why? Ishmael's descendants. It's just they're not Sarai's. But Ishmael's descendants are also Avram Avinu's. Yes, so they're not between. I'm saying Sarai is a problem of Hagar, right. what she did with Hagar. Avram Avinu is the fact that he went to Mitzrayim and he endangered his wife unnecessarily. And then the Ramban said, well, not only that, but he should never have gone. He should never have gone because it's not a normal situation. He was the one who received the directive from HaKadosh Baruch Hu to go to Eretz Kedah. So he should have had faith enough to understand that God told him to go to Eretz Kedah. God will make sure that he'll be able to make it in Eretz Kedah. But that, 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 of course, is argumentative, because we're, there's this principle that we know, <coughs> which means that you don't put your faith in a miracle. You do what you can do, right? You somehow try to work it out. That's, uh, but, but the Ramban says that. The Ramban says that. So you see, if I'm talking about Avram Avinu and about Sora, the interesting thing that comes to, attend, to my attention here is that, that, uh, that the Ramban was not afraid to call a spade a spade. There is such a phrase, right? Not anymore. No? You don't say that in Harlem. Well, but what spade is it that you're talking about? If you would say it. What can Harlem say? A spade? A spade? That guy is spade? So, 
Not a, not a spade in like clog, like cards. Who do you play with? In any event, in any event, uh, the Ramban, the Ramban understood. It doesn't bother the Ramban to say that a greatly righteous person might have misstepped, might have done a terrible something terribly wrong. And it seems to me that educationally. Though the people who might make a mistake, or great people, but might have made a mistake, are really much more, um, uh, much more reasonable role models than the people who never make a mistake. If the people who never make a mistake, you say, well, I'm not like that. I mean, well, well, I, I can't compare myself to that, because that is way beyond whatever I could accomplish. So educationally, that kind of Avram Avinu and Sari Menu educationally become irrelevant. Like if a teacher says, oh, you know, you're not like Sari Menu, so a kid will figure out shortly enough that that's not so terrible because nobody is. But if you say, if you say that Sari Menu misstepped and caused the generation's problems, then maybe, maybe, not, the, not in every case, it's an opening to say that, you know, you could also improve, just like Sare Menu died uh, with this uh, understanding that she was a tzadeket, and she probably, I guess she was, if the Ramban says so, in spite of the fact that she may have had some really very serious missteps along the way. So now we're up to Rivka. Rivka, you know, was the wife of, of Yitzchak, and uh, here. Rivka's, the story of Rivka that we're telling here starts in, it's number five. <coughs> Remember, she's coming, coming to Yitzchak. She's on a camel. She's on her way back. But he pulled me out Whatever that means. I mean, it means she took note of it. <laughs> like, like she knew it was Yitzchak. And she was excited. But literally means she fell off of the camel. But maybe it means she didn't really fall off like from the camel to the ground. But something else. You know that word, Oela? The accent is on the pre-penultimate. <laughs> this is like a distraction, right? Usually in Hebrew, the accent, the accent, the way we have inherited Hebrew, the accent is on the last syllable, usually. Baruch Ata Hashem Elokeinu Libat Melech. Baruch, I'm sorry again, Baruch Ata Hashem. Now, sometimes the accent is on the penultimate syllable. That means in English, next to the last. Penultimate. Like Elokeinu Melech. Melech. Right? Is that how you say it? Baruch Ata Hashem. Elokeinu. Melech. The accent is on the penultimate syllable. 
And that covers about 99.9% of all the words in Hebrew, either the ultimate or the penultimate. Here and there is an accent on the pre-penultimate syllable, like the third syllable from the end, like this word. If you look at the Ta'amim, you'll see that the way to read this word is O-He-La. O-He-La. So if you're in shul and you have a Balkari who really, doesn't read it that way, you could scream and stomp at him and tell him to fix his ways. O-He-La Sara'imo So this is the famous line that all the Haredi matchmakers know, and it says that first you get married and then you like your wife, which may work sometimes. He was kind of mollified, right? That's what, that's what happened. Uh, Rashi says in Pasuk Samach Zayin, this is the amazing thing that somehow Rivka took the place of her mother-in-law who was already dead right, Sarah was dead but he took her, Yitzchak took her into the tent and, and somehow she she assumed the position of, an, of a mother of Israel however that position was because I'll say Different things, different things about it. Um, let's go into our parsha number seven. We don't have. We have time. We have. Maybe we'll make it. Number seven. Yaakov, I'm sorry. Yitzchak says to Esav, "Go out and." Bring me good food because you know when you when you're in a good mood everything is, comes out better. Maybe because Yitzchak knew that Esav really didn't deserve it, and in the way of his father, the same way that his father tried to deal with Lot, who was not his son, and then tried to deal with Ishmael, and his father thought that you could always bring people into the fold, you could always encourage them. So here you have a case where Yitzchak is encouraging Esau, instead of just giving him uh, the blessing, that he, whatever blessing he wanted to give him, he says, let's go and get a good meal. So now here we have this, this problem. This is the problem of our parasha. Did Yitzchak know? Know what? Know that Esau was, uh, was unteachable, incorrigible. There was nothing you could do. Esau was out of the picture. And did he know that? And was he working in any event? Or was he naive about that? And then again, Rivka, the same the question about Rivka, did she misunderstand 
what Yitzchak was about to do by giving the blessing to Esau? Or did she understand very well that he was naive and might give the wrong blessing to the wrong son and therefore had to protect the right son? Who was young. So both in, in, in this case, we don't know what role each of them is playing. We don't know who's the good guy and who's the bad guy. So let's look at the Ramban. Uh, that's the Pasuk Gimel, right? See? Matasa na, etc., etc. I say the Matamim Kasha Hafti Pasuk Dalit. My soul should be involved in the bracha that I'm giving you before I die. The Ramban. He thought that he would bless Esau and Esau would, get, would inherit the bracha to inherit the land. And he, Esau, would be uh, have a covenant with God. After all, he was the firstborn. So it would seem, it would seem that Rivka, who received this, this statement from God, that Rav, Yavot Sa'ir, the older one, will serve the younger one, which meant that Esau would end up serving, serving Yaakov, but he, she never told him that. Yitzchak would never, would never avoid doing what God told him to do. You can't get away with that. At the beginning, even though she knew Rabbi Avot Sa'ir, she didn't tell him. She didn't tell Yitzchak. This is like the ethical and, and, and uh, modest way. She went to speak to God. She didn't tell Yitzchak that she was going. She didn't get permission from him to have an independent conversation with God. Or perhaps she said, Why do I have to tell a prophecy to a prophet? Because he, my husband, is certainly greater than I am as a prophet. She didn't want to go to him and say, this is what God told me. Okay, so in other words, the question that the Ramban is dealing with is, after all, Rivka knew the Rav Yavot Sa'ir. Rivka knew that the older one would serve the younger one. Whereas Yaakov said, the older one is the Bechor, so he deserves the blessing. He deserves to be blessed. So that in this case, 
in this case, Yaakov justifies Rivka. Rivka, even though Ramban, she could have cleaned... Ramban what? Ramban justifies. Ramban justifies Rivka, even though Rivka could have cleared it up by just saying to, to Yitzchak, I received a, um, a uh, information from heaven, the Rabbi Avot Zahir, that the older one will serve the younger one, which means that the older one, Esav, should not get the bracha, but the young one, Yaakov, should get that, should get that bracha. And so, so you see that even though it's not obvious, you, know, you could ask the question, you could say, uh, God said to Rivka, Rabbi Avot Zahir, so why did Rivka tell that to, to Yitzchak? I mean, what was, the, what was all this trickery and machinations and what, what was going on that she had to trick him into, into, uh, uh, into understanding that Yaakov should get the, the bracha. But you see, according to the Ramban, I would say, as according, to, according to the Ramban, she thought that if uh, she received this prophecy of Rabbi Avot Zahir, that certainly Yitzchak would also receive it. And if he didn't receive it, if he didn't receive it, that would mean that she knew something that he didn't know, and because of what she knew, Ravi Avot Zahir, because of what she knew, it was important, it was important for her to, uh, uh, to get, to do it. That's why she knew it. It wouldn't have, have been uh, reasonable for her then to go to Yitzchak and tell him because this prophecy was not given to Yitzchak. So if the prophecy was not given to Yitzchak, there must have been a reason, uh, the way she would think about it according to the Ramban. She, she would say, Yitzchak doesn't know this. Why doesn't Yitzchak know this? Because it's my job to correct Yitzchak's mistake. That's how I understand the Ramban. It was my job, I'm the one who knows Rabbi to do whatever I can in order to make sure that that information that I receive from God is used correctly and truly. So, so you see that the, when it comes to Rivka, Rivka, the Ramban goes to great lengths to justify what she, uh, what she did and to uh, and for, help us to imagine that she was directed by heaven to do what she did. Because at the end of, the, of that period of time, she knew, but Yitzchak didn't know. And Yitzchak was acting as a result of the fact that he didn't know. He didn't know Rav Yavot Zayir, and he thought that Esav is the Bechor, and it made sense to him that everybody can do tshuva and become a a good person, but, but Rivka, she knew that that was not the case. She knew that, that Rabbi Avot Sayer was the prophecy that she received, and that she therefore was given the obligation to make sure that that works, that the Rabbi Avot Sayer works, and it becomes, uh, it became necessary for Yitzchak to give the primary bracha to Yaakov and not to Esau. Okay, we learned a few Rambans.